well, the other big guys out there kind of noticed as well that we were kind of gaining market share and they started suing us. And we are back with another part train. I am Evan Singer. We got Mr. Matt Cermak here. What's going on, my man? Back in business, rocking and rolling. How are we doing? If you guys are new, the part train, we use golf to help you live a better life or at least make both golf and life a little less frustrating. Learn how to get better and achieve peak performance on and off the course from PGA Tour Pro's best-selling authors, CEOs like our guest today from Vice Golf, coaches, and many more. It's time to finally enjoy the ride. That's what we're all about. Before we get to our episode with Ingo Duhlman, the Vice Golf CEO, um, which was fantastic, by the way. Um, Great episode. Do a quick word from our friends over at Roback. Guys, Roback, uh, I think Black Friday is going to be over by the time we release this, but all the great products are still going to be there. And guess yeah. what? You still get a discount link only for part train listeners. So if you go in our show notes or our social platforms, it'll, it'll always be a link in our bio. You click the link and you'll get 15% off your first Roback order. Um, guys, they are dropping new gear every tons single day of, and they're selling out like crazy. Let's talk about the hoodies. Everyone's wow. talking about hoodies on the golf course. They just dropped performance golf hoodies, moisture wicking, four-way stretch, three colors. And it's perfect because it's a little tight in the arm. I don't know about you, Matt. I hate when performance wear is loose in the arm and you well, constantly yeah, I mean, have to pull it up. It gets in the way when you're golfing. I like a little bit of a snugger arm. Yep, and then agreed. loose everywhere else. That's exactly what the rowback hoodie is. And I can't wait to get my hands on. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about hoodies, right? If you're going to get two hoodies, you know, in 2021, it's the part train hoodie or it's the new rowback. Yep. I also love the holiday collection. Um, basically they got these ugly sweater Q-zips. It's great. I mean, every year you buy a cheap, ugly sweater when you're going to your holiday party and you know, it's not that great. You want to look real sharp and do the ugly sweater theme. Check out, uh, check out the Q-zips with the, Christmas design. So now we're back. I mean, they're launching so much new stuff. I think they're going to be running deals probably through the holidays. So be on the lookout, guys. Totally. So our episode with Ingo, this was a really cool opportunity because, you know, we've talked with this former CEO of and founder of Adams Golf. We've talked to many different CEOs, but Vice Golf is a unique company, yep. right? And I think this interview is super, it, it's almost like a how I built this I said this in the interview within a part train episode, right? Like we kind of get into how the hell can someone that isn't in the golf industry come in and disrupt and create one of the best golf balls around. Yeah. Right. It's pretty, ama- it's pretty amazing. I've, I mean, I, I consider myself a good player, but I take vice really seriously. Like vice has cracked the code with good players, decent players, not so good players. And they've created this brand identity and, we got into a really good, really good back and forth and conversation about what were the key moments in the creation of the brand and kind of where, where, the, where they're going. Ev, I mean, really exciting where he's taking Vice Golf, yeah. him and uh, his partner. Yep. So definitely stay to the end. Uh, Ingo gives a lot of interesting context. It makes me want to go buy three dozen right now. Um, or maybe and- a little, the new Masters uh, major hat. Yeah, like maybe that. a master's hat, maybe the glove, the vice pure glove is the best glove I've ever played. I think you should give them some business. It's going to, it would help your game. With, yeah. You know, I think equipment's going to help your, you know, because I, I can use it for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks as always guys for joining. 
If you're not currently subscribed, uh, definitely subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Definitely helps. And follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, all of it, at The Par Train. And uh, say hello. We always got fun giveaways and stuff going on. So Write some uh, reviews. We love the reviews. Keep them coming. Thanks as always, guys. Take care. This is a crazy time. Stay healthy and uh, enjoy the ride out there. See you guys. Take care. Ingo, we were thinking about it a lot before our conversation. And we realized, you know, there's not many things that people would pay up to 35 bucks a box for and then lose those things in the woods and the lakes regularly. On the street, maybe. Yeah, highways. I mean, you name it. Is there is the golf market maybe the best market to be in, or the golf ball market, considering that people are just constantly losing your product and need to buy more? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's a pretty good market to be at, um, but um, I wouldn't say that it's the best. I mean, you know, like for with uh, consumables like golf balls, you, I mean, even though like people obviously use them and lose them a lot. Um, it's always kind of a low margin business. So comparing sure. it to other great businesses like whatever, Medcare or, or wherever where you have really high margins, like golf balls are really a low margin business, at least how the way we, how we run it, right? I mean, one of our um, unique selling points is that we want to give, you know, or like offer like great product for great price. So we cut out like a lot of people in between and kind of, you know, pass on the savings to the customer. So, which sure. leaves us with lower margins um, as probably other well-known brands out there. So this being said, it's, it's a great, it's a great um, yeah, business and a great market to be in, but um, there are definitely better, better markets to get a higher margin. Sure. You know, Ingo, we happen to have, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but we happen to have a great research team here. And we saw that you first named the company Flake. And I was curious why. I know why you changed it to Vice. And we can get into that if you'd like to give the listeners some context. But why did you first name Vice Golf Flake? Yeah, that's a good question. I I actually have never heard this this question before. So uh, well done on the research side. (laughs) So um, yeah, well, I mean, when we started back here, and that was like around 2010 here in Germany. we like kind of the connection from a like snowflake, obviously being a white object, um, being very unique. When you like really zoom in on, you know, on the crystal level of a snowflake, you see this pattern of a snowflake and it's always kind of a repeating pattern. So it kind of reminded us on a, you know, the, the typical dimple pattern of a golf ball. So the initial idea was, oh yeah, it's wide. It's a repeating pattern. It's a short name, great stuff. And then, well, here in Germany, it was really well accepted. You know, people kind of liked the name. And then when we started out, you know, spreading out to, um, to the UK, uh, like, you know, people started like asking, hey, what do you, what, what, what does it mean? I mean, why, and, like getting back to us and asking like weird question about, you know, the idea behind it and, you know, to flake somebody and all these kind of stuff. So, um, Back then, we decided that if you want to roll this out to the U.S., which we always kind of envisioned to do, we should probably change the name. And at that point, we, yeah, we changed the lives. Talk, talk about your entrepreneurial journey, you know, yeah. cr- cracking into a 
some might say an old school industry. Um, maybe yeah, talk through <laughs> what were the detractors maybe saying to you, you know, in the, in the beginning, um, you know, and, and how were you able to maybe overcome some of those roadblocks and be, well, with, be the brand you are today? Yeah. Um, well, at the beginning, Reiner, the other co-founder and myself, we were both uh, working as lawyers and I'm specifically here in Germany or in Europe uh, in general, it's, it's, you know, it's a great job. You, you earn quite a lot of money. So it's, you know, people like to be lawyers, even though they don't like the work they have to do. <laughs> uh, and the same thing happened to us, right? I mean, we, we liked the money we were making, but we weren't really happy doing what we were doing, right? So solving other people's problems is, is hard. And it's, um, it wasn't really um, something we wanted to do our whole life. So, so um, at this point, we, we kind of started doing some, some side business and started having some, like Reiner, he, he worked at a, at a consultancy um, firm called Roland Berger. Um, and we got like one of these consultancy jobs um, with one of the biggest golf ball manufacturers. And we were seeing that and we liked that a lot. Um, and then we said at this time, like all these direct to consumer brands were popping up, like Wabi Parker, um, Dollar Shave Club. And all these guys were kind of trying to disrupt industries, which were selling high, really high priced products. Um, and by just getting rid of the middleman and just changing the distribution model, um, from one day to another, we're able to offer like a really great product for a reasonable price and selling it directly to, to, to the customers. So this, this was kind of the initial idea. And when we were there, like seeing with our own eyes, how, how the whole golf ball distribution and production market was working, we said, Hey, this is, this is what we want to do. And at the end of the day, even at this time, like all our family members, friends, well, friends and family were always like kind of playing golf and complaining about the high prices. Ryan and myself, we weren't really that much into golf. So we said, hey, this is kind of what we were always looking for without even knowing it. And it probably helped at that point because we weren't biased by, you know, by how a golf ball needs to be bought or where you have to buy a golf ball or what golf ball you have to play or you know all these things when we started like everybody was telling us now you know direct to consumer golf balls that's that's insane nobody's gonna buy those right so and we were really positive about the idea that once you know that you get a great golf ball for a reasonable price and combine that with a a modern young and fresh brands like people would 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 start buying buying our products and um well obviously at the beginning it was really tough um but then after a while it um it became a really good business and grow from a little startup um from our garage to an international an international brand where we sell millions of golf balls per year sure ingo so i guess in, in terms of honing in on maybe a barrier of entry was one of the immediate challenges maybe just wanting to get to the U.S. because of the market share being so large? But it's like, well, we're in Germany. We've, we've got, you know, we've got a decent start here and yeah. around, around Western Europe. But curious, like, yeah. how you kind of manage that. So, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, um, well, obviously, our, our initial idea was always to kind of end up in the U.S., 
because you have, as you mentioned, the biggest golf ball market in the world, right? Around 30 million golfers. Uh, in comparison, here in Germany, you have about 600,000. So it's obvious that you want to end up in a, in a mass market like the U.S. But on the other side, we've always been really influenced by American culture, um, been playing basketball since, uh, since I can practically walk. So it was always like, you know, a lot of, of the American culture um, from sports, from music, from a lot of different things. Have, we have a lot of friends over there. So it was always like, yeah, it's, it's an easy fit. It's one sure. language. I, was, I grew up in Spain. So it's, you know, um, Spanish, English, German. So it wasn't all, it, it's, it's a pretty easy thing to, to do when you, uh, when, you, when you see all the difficulties within Europe where you have so many cultures and so many different languages and so many different tax systems and so many whatever, you know, shipping and logistic hubs and carriers and all this kind of stuff that we always said, hey, yes, it's just one language. It's kind of one mindset. Obviously, you have um, obviously different states and different, um, uh, and different things people do and think. But in general, everybody loves golf. Everybody kind of talks the same language. So it's, I think when you master the, or when you can master the, the uh, Europe, it's kind of doable in the US as well. So, sure. so that's, that's, that's how we started. And at the beginning, obviously, kind of starting a, a golf ball brand in a, in a market which, which has been like, you know, well, dominated by, let's say, two or three players for decades. Obviously, it, it was kind of a blessing for us that all these direct-to-consumer brands were starting up, right? I mean, not in golf, but in other uh, segments. Because normally it would require a ton of money and like hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, to, to kind of spread out the word and, you know, make, uh, make people know about your brand, right? So cool. that, is, that was probably the, the biggest challenge for us to really you know, make people, uh, make people aware of our brand and test out our products and see that this is different and this is, you know, absolutely comparable or even better than what they already know. And um, after that, when we finally kind of understood how to do that, um, well, the other big guys out there kind of noticed as well that we were kind of gaining market share and they started suing us, which, you know, led us to the to the point where you know you 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 kind of you think you made it and then you're you you know you're getting back in contact with the legal system and as lawyers right you guys at least yeah. knew, knew where to start with some of that exactly. mess um, right okay yeah, exactly <laughs> what, were, what were they suing you for exactly like copyright trademark infringements or or what was the exact lawsuit yeah well we had like one big lawsuit with Akushnet. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. I'm not really um, able to, to talk about the details because sure. we have an NDA signed with them and we settled with them. So um, there's a settlement agreement and we can't talk about the details. Mm -hmm. But truth is, and this is um, open knowledge, so you can really search for that and everybody can see that, that we're suing us for yeah, patent infringements on, on different things like drag uh drag coefficient of a golf ball dimple pattern in combination with these kind of things so 
a lot of a lot of um, really difficult to prove things, um, also from their side. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we we came to an agreement with them and are still selling the same golf balls as before. So I think that says a lot about the outcome of the of the of the lawsuit. Yep. So, Ingo, take us back to, you talked a little bit about it. You mentioned how hard it was at the beginning, right? We can do like a little mini how I built this within a part train episode of you guys decide we're going to do this, right? You've heard from the naysayers, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm an entrepreneur myself, um, I think it's easy to, when you're at the bottom of the mountain, to look at how tall the mountain is and say, oh, I don't know if I want to climb that mountain, right? And manufacturing is, especially if you don't have experience in that world, it's, it can seem like Mount Everest, right? And so what, to walk us through the first steps, like what were the mini milestones you did? How did you go from not knowing anything? Obviously, you guys gained experience from your consulting um, with that OEM, but how did you break from that outsider knowledge into, okay, we're going to start manufacturing these and how many and to who, and how do we get the word out? Like what were the steps? Yeah. So, so yeah, again, like, as you mentioned before, like we started with this, uh, with the consultancy job as one of the biggest OEM manufacturers out there. And obviously, you know, gained a lot of knowledge on, you know, people you need to know for, um, for producing and manufacturing a decent golf ball. This was the first step. Then, like big manufacturers, they have also like a pretty big um, R and D department, so they can help you with that too. And it's no secret because it's you know whether you you're gonna manufacture a golf ball or a cell phone or whatever a computer or whatever you want to manufacture, there are always like let's say like three to five or ten depending on the market. Uh, leading manufacturers within this space. Um, I guess probably one of the best examples is Apple, right? I mean, like they don't manufacture the iPhone by themselves. They go to a big um, cell phone manufacturer uh, with their specific needs and requirements. And these guys turn their kind of dreams into reality, right? So pretty similar is what happened to us. So when we came to an agreement with our manufacturer. We, we teamed up with um, aeronautic um, engineers here from Germany and material engineers and came up with our first trials on and ideas about how a golf ball um, should work and look like. Um, obviously the whole time with the help of the R&D team from, from our manufacturers. And this took us at least one year um, and like hundreds, I wouldn't say thousands, but close to 1,000 um, prototypes of golf balls we, we got. And then we started pretty fast testing them with, um, with Gene Parenti. And, um, and the, they have, he owns like a golfing, a robot golfing facility in, um, in California. You might probably know him, um, Robogolf. And he's kind of the golden, golden standard for, for testing of golf equipment and golf balls, et cetera. So um, after this year, we really came to the point where we said, hey, this is really the one, well, the ball at that point 
which we really feel comfortable with to compete with all these big brands. And which also obviously kind of, you know, opened our eyes about how to think about this kind of big R&D secrets and um, stuff you always hear from the big manufacturers, right? I mean, they invest uh, millions and tons of tons of money into R&D, supposedly, and then always come out with a new ball every two years and, you know, and kind of try to sell you this ball, which uh, supposedly is better than the, the, the ball to, from two years ago. So that's what we wanted to change as well, because we just change our golf balls or just come out with a new golf ball when you really kind of feel that there is, you know, there's, the, there's kind of a next level of technology out there we can use and kind of, which kind of brings you more value than the, the current model or the, the, the model before. So, so yeah, that's how more or less how we started. So we kind of teamed up with the manufacturer we're lucky enough to be, you know, that they accepted our offer because at that time when we started production, we, you know, Ryan and myself, we put practically all our savings together and, and started, you know, with the first bunch of, I think was almost, I think 95,000 golf balls or something like that. So like for them, it was like nothing. But for us, it was like, oh man, how, how are we going to sell all these golf balls? Are, are right. we going to have golf balls for life? Right? I mean, if we don't sell them, yeah. like this is going to be the present for for our holiday season for all our friends and families for for decades. Um, and um, yeah, and then well, uh, we teamed up with them. Had these two really fantastic guys from from Germany, the material guy and the aeronautic guy. And then um, yeah, after one year, we came up with the first product and um, started releasing them on our website. Ingo, that's great. So I, I kind of want to just unpack and talk through with you just the history of golf balls. Not that I'm you know, the oldest person in the world, but I grew up, I'm 32, and I grew up playing since I was three years old. You know, I played in high school, I played in college. And growing up, so in the mid, you know, early, mid-2000s, late 90s, it was Titleist, especially if you're a good golfer, right? It, it, like, you, it was a peace of mind thing to play Titleist. Yeah. And then, you know, there was Precept. There was Strata, like for good players, but like it was kind of like, meh. TaylorMade Intergel came along, and the tubes, clear tubes, that failed. Nike got into golf because of Tiger, failed. You know, and now you guys have been able to crack into a space, which is so incredible because right now there's a lot of good golf ball brands. It's not like it was 15, 20 years ago, like I'm describing. So. Ingo, it's unbelievable what you guys have done. So was there a moment when you guys really realized, oh, this could be big? Um, and I guess really what's more important, why did this get big? It's all about quality. That's what we are really, you know, we are big believers of that people will recognize what you do if you stick with great quality. I mean, um, as you said, Titleist, TaylorMade, um, and these, all these guys, they, they do pretty decent golf balls. I, you know, yeah. I, I would never say that a Titleist Pro V1 is a bad golf ball. It's just not true. Right. It's, it's a great ball um, for sure. But I think right now um, there are a ton, well, not a ton, but like there are like at least a few players out there who are absolutely able to do something similar or even better than they do. And in our case, um, we also try to do it for a better price. 
And um, coming back to your question, like what we did different or what was kind of the moment of truth where we said, hey, this is kind of becoming big. It's, um, I, I, it's, it's really tough to say. Um, at least when we, when we saw that the product we developed through, through one year was really doing what we, what we were envisioning it to do, like performance-wise, we, we thought, hey, okay, okay, that, that can't fail. I mean, it's a great product. We're going to sell it for almost half of what like, comparable brands would sell it for. And this was kind of the, additional, the initial idea, right? Like to have like a great product for half the price. And then um, we said, hey, but it's not only about the product and the price, but it's also about the brand and what you want to, you know, what, you, what people want to kind of show off when they play your product because, sure. you know, it's, it's, it's important. So probably less important with the consumable than with like a golf ball than with a shoe. Um, right. I mean, you want to show your, your Nike shoe or your Adidas boost shoe or your whatever shoe you want, you're, you're wearing, but we thought we should, we, we, we would like to create something similar with golf balls. And that's what we, that's what we did. So we teamed up with, with, um, you know, brands like the NBA, um, to create, to create products, also consumable products with, which are just different and are not only performing really well and have a nice price tag, but are different to what's out to what's out there or what has been out there for for decades. So I think with the NBA, when we started, like being their official golf ball, it was like huge for us because like, you know, you were getting all the attention from these former NBA players who then were like starting to play golf and all these kind of stuff. Um, and then we teamed up with a lot of different other brands to do cool collaborations up to the point where right now, and I'm spoiling a bit, but probably uh, when this comes out, it, it might already be in the market. So now we teamed up with Adidas and we, we created like, um, like a golf shoe from a running shoe uh, starting from scratch. And, um, and I think it, it has been kind of the, the, um, yeah, just the evolution of our brand, like from like a small startup to something where you team up with an internationally well-known brand like Adidas and do something cool with them because we want to make, you know, golf affordable, but at the same time, cool and fun. And, and I, I mean, we, you know, you know by yourself, I mean, you want to go for, for a nice round and you want to play decent golf, but you also want to have a good time, right? So it's not only about whatever, who's who's playing this ball on the tour right i mean yeah this that's one side of the business and it's okay but you also want to have a hell of a time on the golf course with your on the on the golf course with your with your buddies and just you know just um play nice golf and and feel good and that's all of, that's what it's all about advice that we want to have you know really a, a nice performing product have a good time show that golf can be cool on course and off course. And I think that's what also kind of uh, Adidas saw in our, in our brand that we are able to attract much more of the younger people um, who are into having fun on the golf course, but not forgetting about the performance on the golf course. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Ingo, when, when you and Matt were just talking, 
just to give a little bit of context of what Matt was talking about with the evolution of the golf ball and how amazing your guys' rise has been, I used to work with TaylorMade back in 2010 to 2013. And I remember being inside those that building and they would launch a new ball every year, pretty much, yeah. right? And it would be a different brand name, different colors. And it was kind of like, a, all right, let's see what sticks, right? And now they've got the TP5, TP5X. That's been the longest standing ball they've had, you know, yeah. since I've been in, around golf. And so if you think about that in comparison, right, it almost makes your story even more impressive because a brand like TaylorMade, that's got all the distribution, all the manufacturing, the marketing, probably the best marketing of any golf brand at that time. Uh, it's crazy that a ball can still fail at that yeah. time, right? And so for a, a vice yeah. ball like yours that has none of that brand equity and, and none of the uh, efficiencies from a logistics standpoint, um, I just wanted to say that because I think it makes it even more impressive. Sure. Thank you. Um, but speaking of golf equipment, right? I, I think you, you just talked about footwear, which is really exciting. Um, that's soft goods, right? Have you thought about how the golf equipment space compares versus the ball? Like, are you guys have interest in breaking into clubs or are you solely focused on soft goods, balls, and accessories? If you have a look at all the traditional golf, golf brands like, um, Akashnet or TaylorMade or Callaway, and you'll see that normally their kind of um, revenue comes more or less like from one third of golf balls, one third of uh, clubs, and the rest of accessories mm -hmm. um, with an accessories slash apparel. Um, so more apparel than actually accessories. <clears throat> so which kind of obviously gives us some room to grow because we are mainly targeting this one third which is golf balls um at the same well at the same time i mean um through the years since 2010 we have become pretty much experts in what we do in golf balls and in everything well which is important for us in in, in, in performance and materials and in design around golf balls and that's what we are really good in or good at and um and i think we also know how to design stuff nicely and i mean we, we do products like bags and hats and gloves um really nicely <clears throat> but the main product is still our golf ball and i think will always be and i think they're like for instance with shoes i mean there are obviously brands like adidas or nike or reebok or whatever new balance who have been doing this for decades and they really know how to do that really well. So, um, so we, we, coming back to your question, I don't think that we, you know, could offer something better than they do um, by starting, you know, a shoe production on our own right now. Right. So, um, but which doesn't mean that we don't like shoes. I mean, we all sneaker hats. Um, we have been like, you know, rocking sneakers um, since we were, we were little kids. And nowadays we, we wear them in the office and play golf with them. So it was like a natural fit to us to kind of turn like something we've always been in love with into something really cool on the golf course too. But which doesn't mean that we, you know, we will be starting um, producing or manufacturing um, 
shoes on our own. And the same goes, I mean, there are hundreds of different products out there we could be interested in. And probably we team up with some people and do some color, nice collaboration and, you know, but we always would just do it if we see that this would kind of give our customers um, something special and something they're asking for. If not, it's, it's just not what we do. And probably coming back to one of your uh, questions before, and I just forgot to, to mention this when you were asking about the um, the production and how difficult it is and all these kind of stuff and what makes it special. I think what I just forget to mention, and it's one of the most important things about our business is like the technology behind the product. So for us, like golf balls kind of divide into, you know, range balls, then the kind of begin beginners balls, then for advanced players, and then the really tour player kind of um, premium golf balls, right? And one of our, I think, I, I think it might be just the most important thing about our business is that we took the kind of high performance golf balls and put them into the hands of the average golfer. So um, we, but what, what we sell most are casker thing golf balls, like all our pro lines, the pro soft, the pro plus, and the normal pro ball, they are all cast your thing golf balls and for for people who don't know the difference between probably cast your urethane a tpu a sterling golf ball it's just it's just like a titleist probably one for instance that's a cast your thing golf ball it's a very very difficult way how to to kind of create the outer outer layer of of the golf ball uh, which um which you want to be like super thin so, so you have a better feel and control of the golf ball, but still want it to be durable because you don't want to cut your golf ball, right? So, so there are probably with Titleist and um, TaylorMade, and um, those guys they have um, a, a ton of IP on these uh, on these uh, on cast urethane production, and um, and then our manufacturer who helped us get into the game because they, they are probably the, the third party in this, in, this, uh, in this world who's able to do that. And we, we kind of, after the years, we got kind of an exclusivity agreement with them. So we got hands on, on this technology and really believe that this technology is the best you can use at the moment. That won't, it's not, it doesn't mean necessarily that this is gonna be forever like this, but right now and for the last 10 years, this is the best you can really get to produce a golf ball. And I mean, you see it by yourself, like a TP5 or a Pro V1 or a Vice Pro or Pro Plus ball. I mean, they perform um, pretty similar. And I wouldn't say the one or the other performs better, it's just, they perform differently because we want them to perform differently, right? I mean, we want probably a player with a lower swing speed um, to have more, to get more out of, out of the ball than a guy with whatever, a super high swing speed and a tour player, right? I mean, because we build our products for our, our customers and 99% of our customers are not tour players. So, right. um, so that's, what we, that, that's what we do differently. And, you know, all the other technologies out there to build decent golf balls, they are all, all pretty good. But I think it's probably one of the most important things that you kind of own this technology and are able to 
to build up on this and you know could can really offer like this high premium product and take it from this high priced level to to a lower lower price level and so so more people can really enjoy great quality for a great price yeah no it's 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 interesting i i was thinking about this earlier ingo of like the the cuz I, I i come from marketing and it's funny how the the simple tweak of going to your website, right? So taking a step back, Titleist always had the like, buy three dozen, get a fourth free. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not going to drop like $200 on golf balls right now. I just want to get the dozen and be on my way, right? Where you go to your guys' website and it's, you immediately start with the three pack and you see the price efficiencies you can gain, right? It's, it's almost the same idea but you display it in a much better way because you're showing me the savings versus telling me to spend $200 to get it. So we actually, this is actually an, uh, a question from um, one of our followers on Instagram, which is they want to know if you have an interest in the subscription model going forward. I know a lot of people love their vice balls. The gloves are amazing, by the way. If anyone's never had a glove pro, I think it's, what is it called? A pure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the best glove I've ever used for sure. Um, but any interest in a subscription model or, or changing or testing new models? Well, um, <clears throat> the subscription model is obviously interesting. And we've been, you know, playing around with it and like really thinking in depth about it and how to imp implement something like that. But the problem is, I mean... And uh, with golf, um, normally, obviously, you need your, your golf balls or your ammunition for the start of the season. And due to, to weather problems or traveling issues or whatever, this can be like heavily delayed or, well, I mean, you sit by yourself with Corona, um, yeah. you know, like it can dramatically change. So, so for us, it was always like, I mean, does it really make sense to get golf balls at a specific time of the year um like in bulk or um or i mean what would be like the advantage of having this i mean the advantage would probably be like okay get getting i mean you, the average amount of of golf balls like an average american golfer would spend is around four to five thousand per year so um that's where we where you also get the best price on our website so so when you decide to buy five dozen on our website, it's like you already have stocked up for the whole season, right? So what we could obviously offer is like, okay, you get the subscription fee and we send you every month or whatever, two months, like one or two dozen, but it would just unnecessarily increase the, the price for the balls because you have to pay shipping twice, you have to pay um pick and pack uh, logistic costs and all these stuff twice and i mean to be honest like golf balls are pretty small it's not like you have to st stack up like for whatever toilet paper and buy a hundred rolls of it and you, you know like your basement got uh, gets just super filled up so it's just five golf uh, five thousand golf balls so i think subscription model is kind of nice but what we already do with people who tend to buy, you know, on average of five golf balls, they're practically stacking or stocking up for, for, for the whole season. Right. So um, it's practically a, um, a subscription um, model already without kind of tricking people into receiving something when they don't really need it. Yeah. 
Ingo, we probably have one or two more questions and we're going to get you out of here. Um, I've always been curious with kind of your brand identity and maybe who you guys target. I think anybody can use vice golf balls, right? The great player or the beginner player. But a lot of our listeners are people who have been playing maybe for a short time or a long time, but are trying to get better at the game. You know, it's a lot of the average, you know, weekend players that are serious about their golf game. Um, And and I feel like, especially those people that maybe got into the game later in life, I feel like there's a connection with a vice because Titleist and TaylorMade and Callaway are kind of these old school brands that kind of have a, at least an, a little bit of an elitist um, connection to. And that's not com- that's not completely true, but I think it just is. They've been around where vice is new and fresh. And um, it, it, talk about that. Is that is, is it that kind of the power of the brand really? Because I, we think our listeners is like. Vice golf is a great, you know, brand, especially in these times. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to be honest, like, I mean, we, we target, I mean, we target younger people the same way as we target older people. Right. I mean, it's, I, I like the example of a Porsche. I mean, you probably, when you become whatever 60 and you are 65 and you have enough money or eventually not, but you're not like you you will probably buy a like a sports car like a porsche and and but in the advertisement you always see this young whatever 40 years or 45 years old kid right. you know having a great time and i think that that's the thing right i mean if you're 40 in, in your 40s and you're you're able to to buy a porsche then you buy it anyhow because you see this great car and this um, this ad on those ads which kind of talk to you but when you're 60 or 65 and you see those ads you also want to feel like 40 again right so you buy it this in the same car the same way so yeah. that's what i think we do as well yeah. kind of our advertisement and our design language and our ci our um, our collaborations we do kind of always target younger people in some way but we try to keep it interesting and desirable for the older folks too totally yeah that's so that's important ingo our last question i always love asking this question um because in the moment you know it's really easy to be full of stress and worry and in hindsight it always you always seem to have more wisdom of what you wish you knew so if you could talk to ingo in 2010 now what would you tell him what do you wish he would have thought felt or done differently move to the u.s <laughs> through the european market not just kidding and we would probably have, have, have been well, we probably would have started much earlier in the u.s um and um you know we got in some venture capital um after after a year or so, um, I think knowing how it went from 2010 to 2020, um, I would just have um, skipped the whole venture capital thing. Um, even though our investors are great, um, I have to say that. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I, I'm not—they are really great people, and they helped us a lot. But obviously, you know. Um, I think we could have done it on our own. We've always been cash positive in our company. So we have always been like bootstrapped, never, you know, never, never having like huge expenses, never living 
um, over over the top. So um, so yeah, I think that's that's one thing. But the, in in reality, I I don't regret a lot of stuff uh, we've done. So I, I would probably do almost everything the same way we've done it so far. I would probably wouldn't have stressed myself. I would not stress myself so much. Um, because at the end of the day, even though you have a great idea and a great business model and the time is right, um, you still need a big portion of luck, right? I mean, if you have the, you can have the best idea out there and you can, you know, be a really good entrepreneur, but if the timing isn't right, you know, you're just not going to succeed. Probably not with this business, but probably with the next business. But anyhow, so, so I would just try to, to not stress myself too much into that. Um, I, I think that we've done pretty much everything the way we, we wanted it to do. Um, has been a hell of a ride. Um, so yeah, we are really happy about what, what we've done and uh, to, to, to where it led us. Love it. And I lied, I have one more, you made me think. Speaking sure. of coming to the US earlier, how is a company that was born in Germany have the vibe of Southern California in the brand. I well, have to I mean, get that in there. Yeah, that, that's like, a, an, like an Evan, you know, like me. <laughs> There's a connection here. <laughs> first, first of all, um, even though we are a German company, we have like we are like a multi-country company here. So we have people um, working from all over the world in the company, like Austria, Switzerland, Germany, Sweden, um, Puerto Rico. Um, Spain, um, the US, Romania. Wow. Uh, so, so they're like a ton of the Philippines. So they're like a ton of people and it's like an international kind of feel. Then we have, um, we also have um, people working in the US. Um, so we have kind of a, a daughter company, the Vice Sporting Goods Inc. Um, in the US. Um, most of our people are, are based in, in Los Angeles. Um, um, our distributors and um, really close friends, they, they have their warehouse and the distribution thing also in LA. So, um, and probably also one thing, I grew up in Spain and they call it the little Hawaii. Um, it's a Canary mm -hmm. Islands. So um, probably it's kind of the same surf vibe, vibe you, you, you kind of experience in LA, mm -hmm. uh, what you kind of experience at, the, at this little island. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it's a mix out of all of that. And, um, yeah. And again, as I said before, I think the, the influence of American culture, um, you know, it has been always, has always been there and we kind of feel really kind of connected and international. And I think it's just that what people might like about us, that we connect kind of the American culture with the European culture. And I think it's also kind of a trend when you see like an apparel, for instance, you know, European tighter cuts are, are in vogue right now. So, so it's kind of, I, I think it's cool to have some, something which, you know, has kind of the, you know, like the roots in, in Europe, but also kind of feels and understands how, how the U.S. works. So I think that's, yeah. that's it. When the world gets back to normal, we're all meeting up in L.A. Absolutely. You know, we're going to tee it up or maybe hoop it up, you know, either one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I invite you guys to the Oktoberfest, which is probably one of the biggest and greatest beer fests ever. So yeah. we're just around the corner. 
Um, unfortunately, this year we couldn't make it because Corona won't uh, won't let us. But um, yeah, I'm really We'd looking love forward to, do to it. that. We'd love that too. And nobody can keep Ingo in a box, right? He's selling no. golf balls in a box, but you can't put Ingo in a box there culturally it is. with the brand. Um, well, Ingo, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, is there anywhere else you want to send people to learn more other than vicegolf.com? Anything on social? I think, well, our um, well Instagram account, um, Facebook account, and um yeah, and our website, vicegolf.com, are the, the places to go to get more information about us or whatever. Just search and uh, type, uh, type vicegolf in on Google. You, you'll find some more information about us. But um, if not, just send me an email, ingo at vicegolf.com. I'll I'm happy to, to reply. Awesome. awesome. Well, Perfect. thanks so much. We're glad uh, yeah. you're, you're healthy and, and safe. Um, and best of luck to you through the holidays. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch. Maybe we can do this again sometime. We appreciate Thanks. it. Take care. Appreciate it. Take care.